0: This is your host, Rosaria Cozar. Please always remember to consult with your physicians before attempting any changes to your treatment plan. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Living Risk Anxiety. This is your host, Rosaria Cozar. And just as a reminder, this show is to help you with your child's new cancer diagnosis. Today, I have with me a pediatric oncologist, Dr. Allison O'Neill from the Jimmy Fund's Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, located in Boston, Massachusetts. She is going to discuss the ins and outs of scansxiety and a little bit about which scans are which and why doctors use them. While not every scan is used in every treatment, you might hear about one and wonder, what is it? Dr. O'Neill is not only a researcher, but also works directly with patients. Currently, she is making progress in studying pediatric liver cancers. She was noted in Wikipedia as one of the notable graduates of her medical school, Albert Einstein School of Medicine in New York. She is in numerous videos on YouTube discussing her research aims, her passion as a pediatric oncologist, and... She is an advocate for young women who want to enter the field of medicine. So it is my privilege to welcome to my show, Dr. O'Neill.
1: Thanks so much. That was such a kind introduction, and it's it's really a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: It's truly an honor. Um, and I wanted to start off with a little bit of your backstory. Um, why did you choose pediatric oncology? Hmm. Um, That's a great question.
1: I always knew I wanted to be a pediatrician, although I was drawn to patients that that had more medically complex problems and certainly drawn to families um, that were going through much of the same. I also knew that I really wanted to work in a field with longitudinal care, such that I got to know patients and families well um, and got to share with them a special relationship. So I still remember when I was in medical school, uh, the program I was training in at the time had pediatric patients with a multitude of different medical problems next door to one another. So they weren't separated by specialty or by floor per se. Um, And I had cared for a number of children with pretty standard pediatric diagnoses, which um, while certainly a a very pleasurable experience... they contrasted sharply with children that were much sicker. in my mind. I, I derived from children with complex diseases, particularly cancer, such um, a source of strength, inspiration, uh, courage. I, I never interacted with patients that were so young that really understood that array of emotion. Um, and that inspired me on a regular basis. So it became clear to me, even as a medical student, that this was a patient population that I was very drawn to.
0: Well, that's kind. Of, that's really interesting, because um, I know in my own um, experience, that's um, something that really took to me, because around the clinic, these kids really don't know what's going on, and... Um, I'm surprised that led you into that direction and it's a beautiful thing and we appreciate you so much for doing that because um, not many people are able to do that. Um, I assume there's a lot of emotions that go along with that. Absolutely. I I think, you know,
1: the highs and lows of the job are tremendous. The swings are tremendous, but um, I think the challenge that I've kind of worked through over the years is that even when I know a particular scenario may not end with the best of prognoses, the path and the opportunity to you know it's really a blessing of sorts to be able to interact with patients and families at some of the most trying times of their lives. Um, really makes up for it in many ways, and I, I think in that sense I'm I'm very fortunate to be placed in that position to interact with families at at these particular formative stages
0: in their lives. Well, thank you um, for sharing that and thank you for choosing that route. Uh, it's really special. Um, well, let's dive in because we're here to discuss scan ID. But first, I think it's really important to know what types of scans are out there to, to uh, detect cancer. Um, and what do these scans... C and I just want to stick with the acronyms because a lot of the parents will not, um, unless you ask, uh, will not know what um, some of these scans stand for. So we can stick with acronyms. Okay, sure.
1: I'll probably highlight the top four that we utilize with the most frequency, um, and I'll walk you through. You know why we choose the scans we do. And, and many of the choices we make are highly dependent upon the region of the body we need to image or the particular disease that we're aiming to image. So often we'll choose um, a particular type of scan that's more general when we don't yet know what the diagnosis is. And we often will then add on scans, uh, further scans, once we have a better idea of what the diagnosis is. The first of the four is something called ultrasound, which I know many folks are familiar with. This is the same technology that's used for pregnant women to image babies, um, for individuals with heart disease to image the heart. It's all the same technology. Um, And what it uses is um, uh, it essentially uses sound waves um, to detect shapes within the body. And you can imagine it's not very sensitive based upon that. So it's really best used when you have um, a superficial lesion in the body or uh, when you're trying to detect lesions within an organ, but when you don't need perfect pictures of them. It can also be very helpful in looking at blood flow to regions in the body because there's an aspect of ultrasound called a Doppler that helps you to kind of image blood flow. So we use ultrasound typically as a first pass. To look at something. We don't rely upon it heavily when we're treating children later in the course of therapy. The second scan is, is CT scan, which you may have heard of as well. A CT scan it utilizes what we call ionizing radiation. So it does deliver a very small dose of radiation. And there are statistics out there that you need a multitude of CT scans before you accumulate exposure to radiation on the order of magnitude that you and I are exposed to just by flying a plane. In a plane, you know to on vacation or to a different destination, so while it is radiation it's a, it's a fairly small dose, but we're very thoughtful about when we use it. So there are some patients we care for that have a high increased risk of cancer based on their genetics. so we tend to avoid using CT repeatedly in those patients, but for the vast majority of our patients, it's a standard uh, technique that allows us to image the entire body very quickly. You can image from head to toe in a matter of seconds. Um, and get pretty good images of all the internal organs in addition to um, whatever tumor type you're trying to image. So it's it's a wonderful study in the sense that most children don't need to be sedated or put to sleep to get the images in question. Um, and it it's pretty much, it's used across the board for a variety of different tumors, um, particularly of the abdominal organs. It's often very helpful to image those and very much so for the lungs and sometimes for the bone. Um, the third type of imaging study is an MRI. Now, this study doesn't deliver any radiation. It's um, The images are produced by magnetic fields, um, and the images are exquisite in terms of how beautifully you can see different parts of the body, tumors, if you're imaging tumors, soft tissue, um, uh, tumors arising from bone, soft tissue or organs. It really is a one of our favorite studies for many parts of the body. And yet it's difficult to obtain because often the images take over an hour um, when you're looking for the sensitivity you need. So we reserve this study for only certain circumstances. Um, Sometimes in a preoperative period we'll obtain this or depending on the tumor. Um, And children certainly need to be sedated for this because the study takes so long and can be a bit anxiety provoking because the machine makes a loud sound. Um, or the bed that they're on is uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, they're certainly more complex. And finally, the, the last scan we use with frequency is something called a PET CT scan. So a PET scan um, is utilizes an ionizing, or an isotope, I should say. So it's a radioactive particle that is bound to, or goes directly to, a tumor site. So for PET, it's bound to sugar. The Isotype is bound to sugar, so the um, sugar probe will go to parts of the body that are metabolizing things the fastest, and those happen to be tumors. They also happen to be the brain and the heart. Um, These are organs within the body that are rapidly metabolizing, so they chew up sugar quickly. So We expect those things to light up, but what we're really looking for is what else lights up apart from those known organs. And this can be an extremely helpful study because it can look at the whole body all at once. So it can tell us not only whether the primary tumor lights up, but whether there are tumors in other aspects of the body as well. The images that this type of scanning produce are not perfect, so we often have to pair the PET images with something like a CT. So we almost have, we have the bright spots that line up with the roadmap, and we overlap the images to tell us exactly where uh, disease is and where it's not. This type of scan also... Is radiating. Um, so it does deliver a dose of radiation. So we are thoughtful about when we obtain this as well, particularly for younger children. And we tend to be sparing with the frequency with which we obtain it. But it's one of the most helpful studies that we have.
0: One more question about scans. Would you consider a blood test something that could cause anxiety amongst um, leukemia patients?
1: That's a great question. So uh, I certainly can. So you're right. We link physical images to many solid tumors, because that's the best way we have of um, analyzing how we're doing, how, how adequate treatment is, whether the tumor is responding. For patients that have either leukemia, i.e. a tumor that's circulating in the bloodstream, or for patients that have what's called tumor markers, so some tumors secrete proteins into the bloodstream. So you can measure them as a reflection of how well the tumors responding. I think for patients that have either of these scenarios, blood draws may elicit the same source of anxiety that a scan would because at the end of the day, both or all of these are measuring how well the treatment is going. And of course, for, for every patient and family, that's really the endpoint that they're, that they're seeking.
0: And um, with that said, is scanxiety a real thing, so to speak? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, scanxiety is
1: is, um, experienced not just by patients and families, but by practitioners. (laughs) You know, I I think while we clinically have a, a, a reasonable sense as to how patients are doing on therapy, we really rely heavily on the scans for the bulk of the information and there's no doubt that these time points can be anxiety provoking for anyone involved in in the patient's care or the patient and family themselves.
0: Oh, so that's interesting. So the doctors um, or oncologists like you also suffer from it um, as well.
1: Yeah, I think we're so invested in our patients and we, um, you know, we have, it's very different, of course, right? We're a different perspective. Emotionally, we're in a different spot than, and certainly we're not, at home and living the lives of a patient or family, but that by that same token, we're so invested and we want so badly for our treatments to be working that there is certainly an element of that when
0: the time comes to look. And that, um, yeah, that is really interesting. You know, a lot of people just associate it with the, um, themselves and their patients. Um, I mean, their children and, um, themselves as parents. So, um, to know that the doctors do as well, uh, I wouldn't say it's comforting, but to know that they're on our team is comforting. So thank you for sharing that. Um, do you have any advice for parents and children suffering from scan anxiety? I think it, I know it's
1: challenging. Um, I would probably encourage, um, patients and their families to talk to their provider leading up to the scan with more frequency. I think Um, sometimes, and I, I often think that providers have some sense of expectations surrounding what we will or will not see on scan even before obtaining the scan. So, and I I know it's hard to, to talk about it more leading up to it, but sometimes that can offset some of the anxiety such that it's not one single snapshot in time that determines, um, all sense of, um, hope or, or really, dictates the emotional context, but can be a series of smaller conversations leading up to the scan such that not to extend the anxiety per se, but to alleviate some of it in the sense that, um, you can be more prepared about what the results might show.
0: okay. Um, that's good to know. And, um, uh, well, to
1: that too, you know,
0: we're, we're
1: remarkably resourced in our clinic to have so many, um, such a large support staff. Um, for patients and families, you know, even for siblings of of children undergoing therapy, that the psychosocial resources are so very important to rely upon, even even for the clinicians. So I I would say that that is another very important aspect to tap into.
0: Yeah. One of uh, my understandings is that um, uh, Children's Hospital, which actually, if if people don't understand um, Boston Children's Hospital, their cancer... um, Site essentially is Jimmy Fund, which is Dana Farber. So they're all connected. And it's um, from my understanding when you have your oncologist, but you also have a team of people working with them. Like you said, you have um, an assistant that works with the oncologist, the nurses that, um, you know, administer the, um, chemotherapy and then you also have the clinicians and um other types of um support staff.
1: That's that's right. You know, we're a unique center in the sense that we're two institutions but we operate under the umbrella of one large program. So um it's really termed the Dana-Farber Boston Children's Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. It's a bit of a mouthful, um, but you, that's right. So any cancer patient that is admitted to the hospital is admitted to Boston Children's, but when they receive outpatient care in the clinic, the clinic is situated at Dana-Farber and that's the Jimmy Fund Clinic. And you're also right, each patient gets assigned in our practice to a primary attending, a fellow or a nurse practitioner, such that there's you know multiple levels of care Um, a nurse, a psychosocial provider, um, resource providers. And there are nurses both on the Boston Children's side and on the Dana-Farber side that are identified as primary, such that the team gets to know the patient extraordinarily well um, so that there's less uh, loss in communication between providers.
0: And um, we were lucky enough to uh, have a team like that. And I want to say that it really does um, help you through... Uh, this awful journey that you have to go through with your child. But um, I just want to add on, uh, jumping back to anxiety, um, I can only assume that delivering news of a poor prognosis and or a relapse of a scan is difficult on your end. So instead of focusing on that, I just want to ask before we close out here, how does it feel to deliver good news? That's the best thing on earth, as you'd imagine.
1: <laughs> you know, I think um, it's hard to even explain, right? so the the degree of excitement we as providers feel when things are going the way we hope, um, particularly given the relationships we've formed with families. You know this isn't these aren't strangers that we're we're giving good advice to. They're people we've grown to love and care for. Um, so the expectation of being able to give them good news, And the celebration that kind of ensues thereafter is really special. I can't think of any other job that affords somebody the opportunity to do something that special. So we're very lucky.
0: That's great. And um, well, I just want to say thank you for your time. And um, I know you're busy over there. So um, we do hope to have you back. Yeah, that'd be a pleasure. It's been great chatting with you. And thanks so much for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Living With Anxiety. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and visit my website at www.livingwithscansiety.org.